pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, help us to help us to be more aware of who your Son is from what we read and what we learn from your word today. So we have this. We were talking about prayer this morning and, and the, the greatness of the Father and the greatness of the Son and just this practical reality that, that we live in a world where our circumstances get most of our attention, our problems, our trials, the things that we go through, my um, day-to-day things that I go through and, and the, just this practical picture that we make those things big enough that we block the deity and the, the amazingness of God out. And, and if we go into God's word and Jesus says, begin this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Glory be to your name. Praise be to your name. Remind me how awesome you are. Tell me again from your word how magnificent you are, how amazing your son is, how elevated his name is, so that before I come to you with my request, they have shrunk down to their rightful place and you have been magnified to your rightful place. Now I'll pray. That's what Jesus taught his disciples as to how to pray. Paul steps into this beautiful um, statement about Christ and his power and his authority. Verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God. We will look at Hebrews at some point. The exact representation of the Father. The firstborn, by choice, by design, for all purpose, He is the firstborn over all creation. That's where his deity makes its first statement. Creation by the Son. Verse 16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, as I mentioned in Ephesians, the body of Christ, the book of Ephesians, the head of the body, the book of Colossians. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning And the firstborn from among the dead, he is the first fruits of the resurrection, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And then the Father speaks here in a sense, for God the Father was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things. So we have this picture that Um, Don't worry, we will spend time in those verses because there is so much there in those verses. But to, to summarize, everything, everywhere is under the authority of an individual named Jesus Christ. That is by design, it is the Father's will, it is the Son's will, and it is the Holy Spirit's will that everything must answer to Jesus Christ. So he sustains all things. Everything before the galaxies existed, they existed in him. He designed them in himself and then he released them. Every molecule, every animal, every sea creature, every star, every planet, galaxies that we can't even reach with telescopes trillions of miles away, And it says in verse 17 that in him he sustains it all. He continually, constantly holds everything together. And everything must answer and respond to him. So as we turn in our Bibles to Genesis 1, we're going to just scratch the surface really just in a couple of books and understand the progression in Genesis of the names of God. And primarily in the book of Isaiah, just a couple of chapters that zero in on the authority of the person, Jesus Christ. 
Invariably, when you see a name for God or God mentioned in the Bible, it is the Son of God being referred to. When it is elevated, when it is exalted, when it is praised, we are to praise the Father. Glory comes to the Father by us praising the Son. So we begin with some of these names of Christ. And if we had the original Hebrew, um, Genesis 1.1, at least as far as the name, would read like this. In the beginning, Elohim, Eloftav, created the heavens and the earth. So we have Elohim in your notes there. You'll have descriptions of these. It is plural of majesty, but singular in meaning. So if you drop down to verse 26, for example, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the creation that he has made on earth. So it is this Elohim, which in its base form is spirit being. But as soon as Elohim is capitalized, it primarily points to Jesus Christ, mighty one, imaginative one, creative one, creator, God, Elohim. And in the original Hebrew, which got lost when they went from Hebrew to the Septuagint or the Greek Old Testament, the first letter of the Hebrew al alphabet, Aleph, was put up on the right corner of Elohim. And then Tav, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, was put there so that you knew it was the Son of God. So it is like saying, um, maybe in the, the New Testament, Kyrios, Alpha, Omega. In English it would be... Um, Lord, A to Z, first and last, beginning and the end. And we will see that as an actual name for him as we look later in our notes today. But in the beginning, the Son of God created the heavens and the earth. And Paul made clear to us that everything in heaven that is visible, touchable, material, was created by Christ. Everything on earth, everything in the galaxies, every power, every authority, every dominion, everything was made by Christ. So we, we are introduced to God in the Bible as Elohim Aleftav, Mighty One, First and Last, Jesus Christ. Drop down in your Bible to chapter 2 and verse 5 and we see... Just, uh, we we're focusing on names today. We're not going to have time to do much study. Um, you have kind of a glossary of names really before you. No, now no shrub had appeared on earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. So that verse finishes with, there needs to be the rulers talked about in verse 26 and 27 of chapter 1. Mankind, man and woman, to rule the earth. That was the plan from the beginning until they handed that rule over to Satan. So we see Yahweh here for the first time in the Bible in your notes there implies personal covenant relationship. The pursuing God is Yahweh. The one who walked with Adam in the cool of the day was Yahweh. The one who would speak and address humans person to person before there was scripture is Yahweh, the personal covenant relationship God. Go to Genesis chapter 15. And I struggle with, because even the, own, the passages that I narrow down to have more names than you have in your notes so that we might miss some today. But I focused on verse 2 so much, and it is so significant to salvation, but we can miss verse 1. So let's look at that briefly. After this, the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. And there are two names for God in this verse. I am your shield, your very great reward. So, um, 
Shield, you don't have in your notes there, is Magan, um, M-A-G-E-N. So um, this is significant, and I didn't know this until I studied this, that the Star of David that they, they had on the Jews when they sent them into captivity that they had on their houses these two triangles overlapping, forming a star, is Magan. So Magan is God is my shield. So the shield of David is called by Jews the star of David. I even remembered that I thought those words sound familiar. I've never had it, but there's a, a Jewish winery that's called Mogan David. So Yiddish for Magan David is Mogan David. So what they're wearing on their chest isn't a word for star, it is a word for shield. It is the shield of God. Shield of David, the star of David, comes from this term, Magan. And then it's also your very great reward, which is Sakar, S-A-K-A-R, um, which is the highest, the greatest reward. So when it's given as Christ is who he is, I have missed until this point that he is saying to a Jew, I am the star of David, I am the shield of David, I am your shield, Abraham, a thousand years before there's a David, I am your shield, I am your great reward. He's saying to Abraham, I am your everything. And Abraham responds, with a name the first time in the Bible. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord. So he addresses him as Magan and Sakar, as my reward, my shield, my everything. He addresses him as Adonai. So sovereign is Adonai. Adonai, as you see in your notes there, is a focus on majesty and authority. So the ruler, the master, the authoritative one, the sovereign one, is why it is sovereign in your Bible, he is the Colossians 1, 15 through 18 one. Ruler over everything, every power, every dominion, every authority, and that comes out of Abram's mouth. Sovereign one. Adonai Yahweh. The one who rules everything and pursues man, Adonai, Yahweh. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if we're to come to Christ and have an eternal relationship with him, we must do two things. We must make him our Adonai. In the Greek, that's kurios. So Paul says you must confess with your mouth, he is kurios. He is your ruler. He is sovereign. He makes your decisions for you. He is your Lord. And you must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So let's watch Abram's conversion. Verse 2. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, the word of Yahweh. This man will not be your heir, but a son, who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul quotes that verse multiple times. So he says, Adonai Yahweh, ruler of me. I believe whatever you say is true. So he didn't have Paul's gospel. He didn't have the resurrection, death, burial. But John 8.56 says, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. So everything that Christ spoke to Abraham from this moment on, Abraham said, I already know that's true. I already know that I have a home in heaven. 
The book of Hebrews says that he didn't worry about the things on this earth from this point on because he, he looked forward to a, a home and a building in heaven whose architect and builder is God. Adonai Yahweh, I believe. Righteousness immediately from the account of Adonai Yahweh. In Abraham's account, Abraham's sins immediately put on Adonai Yahweh's account. He understood that from the beginning. Turn to Genesis chapter 16. Verse 13. We have this broken relationship of Abraham at one point trying to help God with his plan by having a child with his maid servant, Hagar, and Hagar, I'm convinced, we'll see, we will see in heaven, and this is evidence of that. Um, she is separated from Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, and she is off, and she believes that they are going to die, and Jesus Christ himself comes to visit her, and when that happens, she knows who it is. So, verse 13, she gave the name to Yahweh, who spoke to her, and this is a name. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So there are multiple things in that verse that prove that it's Christ because he is the only visible God. The Father isn't visible. The Spirit isn't visible. Neither of them are the personally pursuing relational. She sees Christ. She sees pre-incarnate Christ. And she said, you are the God who sees me and I've seen you. So in your notes there, that's El Roy. It looks like Roi, but it's just El Roy is the name in Hebrew that she gives him as the God who sees her. Shortly after that, God gives Abraham, now at 99 years old, the covenant of circumcision, and we see another new name to our Bibles 2,000 years after Genesis 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord, that would be Yahweh, appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. We, Ephesians 1.4, are called, called to what? To be holy and blameless in his sight. We are saved by grace. Why? To do the good works which he planned in advance for us to do. To Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Walk with me. Obey me. Be blameless. Do what I tell you to do. And he says, I am El Shaddai. El is God. Shaddai is S-A-D-D-A-Y. That's the first time we see that. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai, Abraham. Walk with me. Obey me. Follow me. Be blameless before me. Abraham says, okay. I will. And he has no idea in this moment the extent to which he will be asked, but he has already decided, I'll do it. So, reading on, um, down in verse 5, he is given the name Abraham as a result of this because he is now going to become the father of many nations and not just the Israeli nation. And Paul explains that in Romans 4, that we are descendants of Abraham if Christ is our Lord and we follow him in obedience. So, turn to Genesis chapter 22, or 21 first. Genesis 21. We see another new name for God here. They won't all be new every time we see them, but to this point we are progressing. We've gone from Elohim to Yahweh to Adonai to the God who sees me to God Almighty. And here we see in verse 33 of chapter 21, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, of the, the name of Yahweh, and he called him the eternal God. And Abram stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So El Olam is what he calls him here. He is recognizing, again, at the end of the chapter 8 in the Gospel of John, Jesus is at war 
with these religious people, and they're saying, we have Abraham, we don't need you. And he says, you don't have Abraham. If you followed Abraham, you would follow me, because he saw my day and he rejoiced. And then he says, before Abraham was, I am. He gives them another name, and they know what that means. We'll get to Exodus 3 in a little bit. But Abraham knows, and he's telling us in calling God El Olam, because he's saying, I know that you're the eternal God. I know that you are from long before me. I know that you are forever ahead of me. And I know that I am now in your plan forever. So he addresses him as the eternal God. In Genesis 22 is where he is asked, 43 years after he was first called to now sacrifice his son, Isaac. And it is Jesus himself who comes down to him to talk with him He takes him all the way. We see um, in verse 7, for example, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son. Abraham replied, and I just see Abraham, just the tears coming down his face, and he's saying, I'm going to do what he tells me. He told me to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to believe his word to me. He has told the servants, stay back. Don't watch this. And he's walking up Mount Moriah where Solomon would one day build a temple a thousand years later, which we will see a temple in the future. Um, And he's fighting back his own emotions. And Isaac says, Dad? He says to him, verse middle of verse 7, Yes, my son Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And he would have been choked up and said, God himself will provide the lamb. He has no idea what that means, but he knows his God. See, peace that transcends understanding does not come from how God answers your prayer. It comes from knowing who it is that you have prayed to. Abraham has peace here that is in tears, it's in emotions, but it's beyond understanding. And he says to his son, the Lord will provide the lamb, Isaac. So Isaac is picturing Christ here, and Abraham is picturing the father in this story. We drop down to verse um, 14. Actually, let's pick it up um, in verse 11. But the angel of the Lord will address that name a little bit later. Called out from heaven, Abraham! Abraham! Here I am, he replied. At this moment, he is over his son with a sword of some kind about about to put it into his chest. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me, John 3, 16, your son, your only son. But Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. That's a name in Hebrew, which is Yahweh Yirah. So that name is new to us here. He had already told Isaac by faith, God will provide. And he realizes in reality now that that's exactly what happened. And on that mountain of the Lord, it will be provided, we are told. So he introduces us to the name Yahweh Yaira. Um, Reading on, let's go to Exodus chapter 3 now which becomes a prominent place in the Gospels when Jesus is arguing, I think, in I think Matthew chapter 22 with the Sadducees when they don't understand the resurrection, they don't understand angels, they don't understand um, that God does miracles. That's one of the things that we can lose is that the Caiaphas was a Sadducee. Most of the 
Sanhedrin that Jesus was on trial before were Sadducees. It was, it was a mixture of Sadducees and Pharisees. Pharisees believe in the resurrection, they believe in angels, and they believe in miracles. Sadducees don't believe in any of those things. They believe you die, you're done. They believe you don't raise from the dead. Um, they believe that everyone who has died has been gone forever, and they don't believe in angels, and they don't believe in miracles. And he takes them back to Exodus chapter 3 to remind them um, to believe in the resurrection and miracles. So we pick it up in verse 2 of Exodus 3. There, the angel of the Lord, and you have that in your notes there, the angel of the Lord is a manifestation of pre-incarnate Christ. So the words there just make up a statement that applies only and always to Christ. So 100% of the time when it says, the angel of the Lord, it is a manifestation of pre-incarnate Christ. An angel or a angel, those apply to other angels but the angel always applies to Christ in the Bible. And we will see that this is a passage, like many of them, that explain that. So let's read on to have it explained for us. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames from, from within the bush. So we know that the angel of the Lord is the entity that's in the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called, so now we know that the angel of the Lord is God, because God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place that, where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So Jesus uses this with the Sadducees and says, don't you know your Bible? Are you not familiar with Moses? Do you remember when he said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? That proves that there is a resurrection because all of these men are long dead from this world but the only way he can still be their God is if they are still alive spiritually. Drop down to verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And this is the first time we see this in the Old Testament. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So he concludes in John 8, 58, I believe, with before Abraham was, I am. So you have there in your notes, Hayah is how you would say that um, in the Hebrew. And Hayah is accomplished, committed, um, break, Cause to pass. In other words, it is self-existing. Everything from, needing nothing. That The definition is actually very long, but he is explaining to Moses that I am everything. I need nothing. Tell them that Hayah sent me to you. The God who is everything. The God who is the cause. The God who uh, makes and breaks. Hayah. So we see this all throughout the Gospel of John. We see the seven I am's. Then we also see that when Jesus walks on the water in the Gospels, he says um, to them, Ami, which Ami in Greek is Hayah in Hebrew. So he may well have said, Hayah. Don't be afraid. It is Hayah. It is the one who spoke to Moses. It is the one who sent him to the Israelites. It is me in the Greek, ami. Reading on, let's go to Exodus, um, let's see, actually Psalm chapter 2. I know we're going through these quickly. We are just kind of doing a glossary of names, and like I said, we are scratching the surface as we do it. We come to Psalm 2, and there are um, about 17 messianic psalms that are, are prophecies things spoken through prophets, primarily David, where 
um, the Messiah is proclaimed. They are either called messianic psalms or they are called royal psalms. This is a royal psalm here because it is a picture of Christ and the Father and the Father elevating Christ to the highest place. We already read that in Colossians and in Ephesians that he is, the Father has said, you get the highest seat, son. It is your name that is above all names. It is you that I have given all authority. You have there in your notes at the top of the page, Jesus saying to his disciples, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. It is amazing to think that in heaven where the Father resides on his throne, the authority is Jesus Christ. And that is by design, because he is creator, he is redeemer, and he is the king. So in Psalm 2, we have one of the coronation psalms that has to do with David and Solomon, but it is a prophecy of Christ. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. We've already read that once. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You, speaking father to son, will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And it would be, it would be clumsy to go through, but I want to go through and see all the different names as we go back to verse 2. The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against Yahweh, and against his anointed, that's um, Mashiach, that is how you would say it, but it's what we get Messiah from. So it is when his anointed, it applies to Cyrus in one place and David in one place, and it applies to Christ here, but it is elevated. It is, it is raised up when it is his anointed, when he's talking to his son. So Mashiach um, in Hebrew, anointed prophet, priest, and king. He is our prophet. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is our great high priest. Um, Hebrews 5, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 7, he is Melchizedek. He is the priest. Any person on earth that calls themselves a priest today is blaspheming God. Because the Bible says that when Christ rose from the dead, there will be no more priest except the priest the high priest, the Melchizedek, the name above all names. Now Hebrews 7.25 is in the inner sanctuary before the Father while Satan is saying, look at Jim and look what he's done. You've got to let go of him. And Christ is standing there keeping me saved by saying, I've already chosen him. I've already paid for his sins. He is mine. High priest, Melchizedek. So he is explaining that here. His anointed saying... And they're saying this to the Father and the Son, verse 3, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. And then the one, um, this is, I don't even know if I put this in your notes, but it's Yashib. It is the one, the judge, the one who will sit as judge, enthroned in heaven, laughs. Yahweh scoffs at them. Actually, sorry about that. Adonai scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king. So it is the word for king, but it is Melech. It is kind of like Molech is mocking that name. But Melech, when it means Christ, it is king of kings. So as soon as the name gets applied to him, it goes from a king to the king over all kings. 
So a Hebrew person would understand immediately as they read this that like Revelation 19, he is king of kings and he is lord of lords. And the, the readers were meant to understand that. So I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim Yahweh's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and celebrate his rule, his Adonai, with trembling. Kiss his son. This is unfamiliar language to us, but this is a, a call in Hebrew of homage to bow down before him, to acknowledge him, to exalt him. So it would be more accurate for us to say, worship his son. No one else is worthy of this except the son of God. So worship his son, or he, the father, will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. So even Daniel was written what would it well over 2,600 years ago, so some of the carrying forward is, is lost, but we know with proof from the Old Testament what is being said in Daniel chapter 7, this, this prophecy chapter, which all prophecies, prophecies of the future come into this chapter, and they feed out from this chapter. All the prophecies from Moses in the Old Testament, all the prophecies in Revelation find their roots in this chapter, and it is Revelation 4 and 5 that we are seeing in the vision um, that John sees in Revelation 4 and 5, but Daniel sees it before the rapture has taken place because he knows nothing of the church. So in verse 13, Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority. This is Colossians 1. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So we see in our Bibles there in small letters, Son of Man. Um, in Mark 14 and verse 62, we have it clarified that this is the authoritative name of the Bible given from Daniel. So to a Jew, Son of Man doesn't simply mean that the Hebrew words of a son, a child born, of a man, a human being, when they are put together, in Hebrew, they are capitalized and those names are exalted so that Son of Man puts him at the highest place he can be put. So in Mark chapter 14, they're using every possible means to figure out how can we get him on the cross? He's blaspheming by saying he's the Son of God. That won't get him on the cross. He's proclaiming to be the Son of God. That won't get him on the cross. But Son of Man is all authority over Caesar, over Pilate, over Herod, over everyone. So Jesus says in response to Caiaphas, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of Man. And you will see me coming, riding on the clouds of heaven, which is Daniel's vision in Daniel 7.13. He says, I am. And they go to Caesar and say, you're no friend of Caesar if you let this man live. And if Caesar finds out that he said he was over Caesar and you did nothing, what are you going to say? So Pilate comes to Jesus, are you a king? And he said, is that your idea? Or did someone give you that idea? And he said, 
my kingdom is from another world and your authority, Pilate, is under mine. So dropping down to verse 22. We already read Ancient of Days describing the Father in verse 13. Verse 21, we'll start there. As I watched this horn, that's the Antichrist, we're not studying that today, was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came to pronounce judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High and the times came when they possessed the kingdom. So Ancient of Days is Atiyak Yam. Yam you're familiar with, that's day. So Atiyak is a title of veneration and honor. It, is, it does point to the eternity in both directions. It is this veneration that is given to the Father in verse 13, that is given to the Son in verse 22. Now we're going to move to Isaiah. Move back in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6. We're only going to look at a couple of chapters, but you can see how prevalent in the book of Isaiah it's no wonder that the Ethiopian eunuch was hung up on reading this book because it is so literated with names of this mighty servant God. So this really would be the beginning, Isaiah 6 would be the beginning of the ministry of Isaiah, the call of Isaiah, Isaiah 6. In the interest of time, I'll kind of read the names as we go through. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Adonai, high and exalted, seated on the throne. So he sees him as sovereign. He sees him as judge. He sees him as ruler. He sees him as authority. High and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Sabah. So Yahweh we're familiar with, but Sabah in your notes there is commander of the armies of heaven. So it is a term for commander, but as soon as it is given to Yahweh, God's son, it is elevated. He is commander of the armies of heaven. So you think about um, in Joshua chapter 5, I forget what verse it is, um, Joshua is about ready to go after Jericho and about ready to move into the promised land. And Joshua looks up and someone is standing in front of him holding a sword. And Joshua says, are you for us or against us? He said, I'm neither. I'm the head of the armies of the Lord. He sees Jesus Christ holding a sword as the angel of the Lord saying, I'm not for you or against you. I'm for the armies of heaven, in effect. Reading on verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. And it's correctly capitalized here. So he sees Melech here as the king. Um, so I added more of the definition there um, of Melech in your notes there, the great king. So in Psalm 48, verse 2, it says the great king. And it's the same word, Melech. And we will see it again later again today, I believe. Um, reading on, I have seen Melech. I have seen um, when he sees here, he sees Lord Almighty um, in Sabah here, commander of the armies of heaven, Melech the king, reading on verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand that was taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of Adonai saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah gladly goes and he proclaims. But we see not only Christ, we know it's Adonai, we know it's the judge, we know it's the sovereign ruler, it's Melech, it is the king of kings, it is the sovereign Lord, it is 
the Lord Almighty, Saba, El Saba. He is everything, and he is sitting on the throne. And if a Jehovah's Witness knocks at your door and says, um, and they're going to convince you that they believe what you believe, and we all believe that Jesus died for our sins, and we believe in God, and we believe all of those things, and we have hope in God, and you ask them a question, do you believe Jesus is God? Well, no. And you say, would you read Isaiah 6 with me in your New World's translation? Do you see there where it says, Lord Almighty, God Almighty? And they say, well, that's the Father. And then you turn to John chapter 12 and verse 41, and John the Apostle says he saw Jesus. Melech, the King of Kings, God Almighty, was Jesus Christ in all of his glory as he was called. Drop down to chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and this is because of an unfaithful king Ahaz, a rebellious king that we won't see in heaven. God told him to ask for a sign that Jerusalem wouldn't be destroyed, and he said, no, I don't want a sign. I won't ask God. Therefore, Isaiah says to him, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. In your notes there, um, it's actually pronounced Emmanuel, um, but it is with us is God. We know it is God with us. So um, we have Emmanu, Emmanuel, and we have the L as God. L in its simplest form is God, E-L. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And again, in just this brief, fluid reading that we do on Christmas, when we think about Christ being born, when you see what this would have been like to a Jew to read this, the names that are woven into this proclamation of the Messiah 700 years before he was born by Isaiah. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son. And this would, after looking at it, this is referring to the same son of man that Daniel refers to over a hundred years after this was written. A son is given, in other words, a son of man, all authority. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it is a mouthful um, to a Jew as we look at this in your notes. Wonderful stands by itself as um, Pele. Um, Pele is astounding things, wonders, miracles. That's why it says wonderful. Not just he's, he's really good, he's, he's really nice, but he is Pele. He is responsible for astounding things and for wonders and miracles. And when you put them together, it is, it is Pela Yos, which is wonderful counselor. And Yos stands by itself, which is counselor, advisor, wisdom. And we read last week where in 1 Corinthians one twenty four and one thirty, Christ is the wisdom of God. And then it says, mighty God. So we see... Gabor El. So El is in its simplest form of God, and Gabor is mighty. It is a word, but it is a name, and that's why it is capitalized. It is majesty and power. And you can see with each name, it's lifting Christ up, lifting Christ up, lifting Christ up, and prophesying through Isaiah that he is coming to earth, born of a virgin, wonderful counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, we read. So um, this is interesting here that, first of all, everlasting is A.D., without limit, forever eternal, continually. Always Father. That is what Christ is being called here. And Christ is called, that they, in the Hebrew, they stuck in A.B. for Father which is Aramaic. So in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, Paul puts an Aramaic word, the same Aramaic word, in the gospel when he says, and by him 
we, our spirit with the Holy Spirit, addresses him as Abba. So this is Abba in the Aramaic. And Paul is undoubtedly taking from this verse in Isaiah to write Romans. So he is Abba in this passage here. He is everlasting Father. So he is the... um, He is the without limit, forever eternal, continually creator, Abba. Um, And then we see him here as Prince of Peace. So, Sar Shalom is Christ, and Sar means commander, official, prince, chief, leader. It's like God is using Isaiah to pack as much into one verse about Christ as he possibly can as we see Son of man. We see Pella, astounding things, wonders and miracles. We see Yos, counselor, advisor, wisdom. We see Gabor El, majesty and power. And then we see Ad Ab, um, without limit, forever, eternal, continually. And then we see that he is the Prince of Peace, that he is Sar Shalom. Verse 7 of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, and that in your notes there is Yahweh Sabah, great power to conquer and to rule. So another word to describe um, that we already saw Almighty earlier, we see it here again, and we see another definition, great power to conquer and to rule. Turn to Isaiah chapter 44. If you need to make God bigger in your eyes, go home today and read Isaiah 44 through 46. He is using language here like he used with Job, beginning in Job 38. And Isaiah is prophesying about the greatness of the Son of God. And we know that it's the Son of God by the first verse that we will look at. Actually, no, actually we're going to start earlier in the chapter in verse 6. The definitions are are in your notes there, so um, we're just going to read through in the interest of time. This is what Yahweh says, Israel's Melech and Goal, which is Redeemer, and we haven't had that one yet, so provides justice on behalf of, in your notes, Gaul. Um, The Lord Almighty, so we see Yahweh Sabah again. I am the first and the last, and we have a name here now, just like the Alpha and the Omega in Revelation 1 and verse 8. I am the first and the last, so the First is Rizan, which sounds kind of neat. I'm sure it has, it's a coincidence. It sounds like Risen. Um, he is Rizan in the first place. Um, and then he is um, Aron in the last. So we are taking names now that were Aleph Tav in Genesis 1.1. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. The creator and the returning king. Um, and we see that in the Hebrew here, the first and the last, we see him as Rasan and Arun. Apart from me, there is no Elohim. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this? and foretell it long ago. You are my witnesses. Is there any Eloah? So this is a form of Elohim, um, but it it speaks a little bit differently. Eloah simply means deity. So we get to Colossians 2.9. The Father says, it was the Father's desire that all the deity of God live in the Son of God when he comes to earth. So we see that in the Hebrew here that we see, you are my witness. Is there any deity besides me. No, there is no rock, capital R, in your notes there. Soar is how you say that. Figuratively, a refuge. So when it is a name, 
and it is used like this, the rock means the refuge. I know not one. Drop down to verse 24. This is what Yahweh says. Your gall, we already saw that, the Redeemer, the the one who purchases, who um, redeems us, who formed you in the womb. I am Yahweh, the maker, another name. It's interesting, I'll um, do some more study on it, but Asa is one of the good kings in Judah, and Asa is actually Hebrew for maker when it is taken to the highest level. So I don't know if that's where his name is derived, um, but that's what maker with capital M here, um, what you see in your notes, to accomplish, to advance, and to appoint. Um, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens and spreads out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of the false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise, um, 1 Corinthians 1, and turns it to nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, people like Isaiah, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited. For the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt. And of the ruins, I will restore them. Who says of the watery deep, be dry, and I will dry you up. Dry up your streams. Who says of Cyrus, and he is called in here the anointed one. This is the, the place in Persia where the world God is doing his work on earth through Cyrus, through Xerxes, through Artaxerxes, through Persia, to the extent where when Christ is born, the Persians are more ready for his birth than the Jews are. Um, Turn to Isaiah chapter 45. We will conclude with this. I want to do this a little bit different. I just want to give the names and then I just want to read it in English because it is so powerful. So in verse 15, we see Savior for the first time and you have Moshiach is how you actually say that, how a Jew would say that. Moshiach, Savior, Deliverer, Rescuer. Um, We see that again in verse 21, Moshiach, Savior, We see other names for God throughout this. Invariably, we see Yahweh, Elohim, and El by itself, which is also God. But just listen to these words and think of the first song that we sang today. Truly you are a God who has been hiding... Truly you are a God who has been hiding himself, the God and Savior of Israel. All the makers of idols will be put to shame and disgraced they will go off into disgrace together. But Israel will be saved by the Lord. With an everlasting salvation, you will, put, you will never be put to shame or disgraced through the ages everlasting. For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said of Jacob's descendants, see me, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. John 8, 37. I declare what is right. That's why as we pause for a minute, that's why there is evolution, and that's why there is atheism. Um, Got to talk to a guy at work about this last week that I've never met before. We had a great conversation that it isn't about where things came from. It's about a creator. If there is a creator, there's a moral standard. I say what's right and what's wrong. That's really the starting place. The grace of God is so extravagant we could never never even tap into it, really. But the starting place is He's God. What he says goes. What he says is finished. There's nothing to add, nothing to subtract. So he says, 
I have not spoken in secret somewhere in the land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Verse 20. Gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives, from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, and this is where Paul gets in Romans 14 and Philippians 2, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow. By me every tongue will swear. This is what they'll say. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boasts in him. Heavenly Father, just help us in some way to lift your Son into a higher place in our minds than he is. We will never reach the height that you have put him. But the closer we get, the more we will be like him. So help us to see him as he is so that we will obey him as he is. In Jesus' name, amen.